Have you already created your will or maybe you're thinking, I'll take care of it later. Or when it comes to hearing estate planning, you think it's complicated or it's not for me. After listening to today's episode, you're going to have a clearer understanding of estate planning so you can start embracing it. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hempel, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. Chances are you probably think estate planning is not for you, but you are also familiar with having a will, which is a part of estate planning. This is your host, Jen Hemphill, and I'm grateful that you are here. In reality, estate planning, when you think about it, is really essential to managing your finances. It's a part of that whole picture. And contrary to popular belief that you need to have a lot of money or assets to have an estate plan, that's not the case. If you're not convinced, listen to today's episode with a bona fide lawyer and find out for yourself. Genoveva Mesa Talba is an immigrant from Mexico, a dedicated wife, mother, and Latina lawyer in Southern California. Her practice focuses on assisting Latinas and their families in safeguarding themselves, their loved ones, and their legacies. Now, after listening to this conversation, you are most likely going to have more thoughts or questions about estate planning. Remember, there's a fantastic community where you can share these thoughts and questions starting today. More on that later, but for now, let's get started with today's show. Hey, Nobeba, welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here and really learn from you because we have a lawyer in the house. (laughs) Welcome. Bienvenida. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to, you know, pass on some knowledge. Um, You know, this is something that I'm really passionate about. So thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. Uh, Really looking forward to the chat. Yes, of course, we are definitely want to know your knowledge. But before we do that, we want to know about you. So Genoveva, take us back in time, if you could tell us a story, something, a personal experience that you had, maybe something that you observed, something that you heard that really to this day has had a really a great impact as to how you perceive your finances, how you've been managed your finances. Yeah, I mean, this is wow, right? Money, such a loaded powerful word and concept and tool and all of the above. This is something that what I'm going to tell you is something that was so impactful that it actually made me shift my practice. So I've been an attorney for 20 years in California. Um, and I would say my first 15 years of practice also impacted money because I did um, exclusively divorces, right? Every kind, high end. And so I saw money at the core of some of these, you know, family problems, you know, what it how it impacted, especially the uh, wives when the divorce. So that 
slowly but surely started building this sort of reverence to money for me because I saw how important it was and how sort of destructive it can be. But what I what I think personally affected me more and impacted me was that my stepdad uh, passed away unexpectedly and some years ago uh, from a very aggressive form of cancer, right? Real quick, real fast. And my parents were the only ones that I knew of in the family that had their estate planning. And so they had everything in order. I had connected them with an attorney friend of mine to take care of it for them. And the impact was that when my stepdad passed away, it was set it was smooth. My mom was taken care of, you know, which is not what I'd seen happen around me, right? Like, it, and you know, most people know when somebody dies suddenly, I mean, you see it nowadays, right? There's GoFundMes and all these issues that come up. And with my stepdad, it was smooth. He took care of have, leaving life insurance for my mom, right? Huge, huge. Plus the estate planning took care of, you know, all the property transfers. And so to me, it was so impactful to see the benefit of it that I started pivoting my practice. And slowly, um, I always wanted to do estate planning, but just like a lot of people, I thought it was for the rich and you know wealthy people. So I didn't think you know that it was somewhere where I wanted to practice or you know didn't feel connected to it. But from that, with my my parents, I immediately started to pivot my practice to offer that for my clients. Yeah, that's probably the the one that the the experience that really kind of shifted my mindset about a lot of different things with respect to uh, how important it is to leave things legal and finances in order. Wow. So that's very interesting. And, and it's interesting that, yes, that impact, of course, it impacted you, but you're definitely offering and you're like a lot of people. And the person listening right now was probably nodding his or her head saying, yes, I have also, or to this day, I thought it was really for people with a lot of money, which it isn't. So this was an influence in what you're doing today, right? And like how you shifted your practice. But as a lawyer, what really motivated you besides this we we have an idea of what motivated you to practice uh, estate planning but you also specialize in marital planning of course the state design and estate planning so what you know what were some of your other influences in what you're doing in becoming a lawyer I'm actually a third generation lawyer right so my father was a, a lawyer in Mexico as was my grandfather so lawyering you know in the blood you know I, that's something I knew I was going to do and to me it was always seen as something that you do to serve the world. It is a business, of course, but it is really a service, a service-oriented profession, right? We take on people's problems and stresses and we help solve them, minimize them, improve them, prevent them. What I did, how I did it really wasn't the issue. The issue was that I wanted to help and which is what led me to my first 15 plus years of practice, which was divorces. Why? Because throughout my life, I'd always loved helping families and kids specifically, right? I was one of those that volunteered, anything that had to do with families and kids, I volunteered. So once I became a lawyer, it was a perfect fit for me to help these families untangle and dissolve their marriages, you know, in a way that was kind, in a way that was, you know, was positive as much as I could, you know, divorces are just, you know, really difficult overall. And and I did it. I did it for about 15 years, the best that I could. And I did very well, um, had a great reputation for that. But 
ultimately, you know, like I said, with this experience with my stepdad, I knew I wanted to help in a different way. And, and so when I opened this last law firm in 2018, 2019, I said, how can I help more? And I felt so niched when I did divorces. Um, and I would always get requests, especially for estate planning. I would get a lot of requests for estate planning, other areas of law, for Spanish speaking attorneys. And I didn't know who to entrust these people with. I said, okay, I need to figure out how I can broaden my service, my services for this community that clearly needs somebody, you know, to really advocate for them, to educate them, to care for them, and really honor sort of their their hiring of an attorney. There's so many concerns out there, you know, in the community about lawyers and, and you know, experiences that I've had that are not positive. So literally, I think that, you know, my life and my profession sort of have opened me up to just always looking for ways to be of service to families and individuals. I am loving everything that I'm hearing. And one of the things that I'm curious about, because you mentioned you come from a generation of lawyers with your family, and I'm not sure where it started, who immigrated here. Was it, I don't know if it was your grandfather or, or, or father, because what I've seen with immigrant families is some people may immigrate from a Latin American country and they have, you know, a degree or they have a profession, you know, they've been in a profession like lawyer or doctor or engineer, things that, of that sort. And they come to the, this country and they have to start something else, right? They have to start something all over again. But with your family, it sounds like it wasn't the case or tell us about that. I'm always curious, yeah. especially as an immigrant experience, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, I'm the immigrant. I am the one. So after my father passed away in Mexico, my mom and I immigrated here as when I was a really young kid. So I'm the immigrant, actually. So I started all my, you know, schooling here. That made it easy for me to, you know, obviously reach my goal of becoming a lawyer. But yeah, there was, I'm the one. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So you are here as a little girl, which, which makes sense. So it wasn't someone immigrating in your family already having had that profession of being a lawyer, coming to this country and pretty much having no. to start over. I'm the one that started it in this country. So I'm a first gen professional here, but third gen lawyer overall. <laughs> love it. Love it. Love hearing it. Okay. Speaking now that I had that curiosity, you know, I had that curious question that was a side note uh, for me. Let's talk about estate planning uh, because I know you mentioned that you thought it was for people uh, with a lot of money. I know listeners here are probably thinking the same thing, but if we can define an estate plan and what makes up a well-designed estate plan. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm very candid with people about that. Even I thought that it was something that wasn't for me, for us, right? But the truth, as I became more educated and seeing my parents, you know, situation, how that played out, I realized that all estate planning is planning for death and planning for capacity. So the name, and you know, if I ever find a better name and there's people out there that call it sort of different things, but I think the word estate is what really triggers these ideas of it is not for me, right? If it, estate seems so grandiose, so wealth, so rich. And so most people that I've encountered, I'm telling you, even clients that have millions in property still don't consider themselves wealthy. Um, nine times out of 10, a client will come to me and say, oh, I don't have much. I just have this and this and that, right? And then I add up their estate for purposes of planning. And it's like, you know, a couple million dollars. And they're like, oh, wow. But regardless of the size of the estate, an estate plan just means planning for death 
and planning for incapacity. So having a plan that takes care of what happens to your quote estate, which an estate is if you own a house, you have an estate. If you own a bank account, you have an estate. If you have cars or any other assets, and by the way, it doesn't mean they have to be paid off. Some people think, well, I don't really own my house because I have a mortgage. Well, according to the government and the law, you that is your house. <laughs> and so you have an estate. As soon as somebody turns 18, you have an estate. Even if you have small bank accounts, the size of your estate is irrelevant. But at that point, you will need to have a plan for what will happen, who will deal with administering what has to happen if you were ever incapacitated, right? Tragically, many people go through an incapacity in their life. Or of course, when we, when our time comes to pass away, there will be administrative things that have to happen. And that is what an estate plan will plan for. Okay. So, and, and I love that you gave examples. Like it doesn't have to be that you have a house. It could be a bank account, it could be cars, basically any assets that you have. And then when you talk about a well designed what does it need to be because you talked about what it is and sure. if you could tell us what makes up a well designed one like something that is you know what should we consider and make sure that the person working on this the lawyer that's working on this is doing us creating a good estate plan for us yeah absolutely so okay you know every person's estate and estate plan will be different or should be different, right? It shouldn't be cookie cutter. So if you're talking about what an attorney, if you're kind of trying to vet attorneys and see what, you know, if anybody tries to give you a very cookie cutter, cutter plan, uh, you know, just, just be mindful of that and do more investigation. Um, but of course, you know, the majority of people can benefit from what I'm about to tell you, which is certain documents that we create to um, accomplish the goals. For some people, you don't need all of that, but most people, honestly, um, yes. So in Cal, and I can only speak to the what they're called in California. Some other states have slightly different names, but pretty much they are very similar. So 90%, if not more, of clients benefit from incapacity documents. So your estate plan would include a power of attorney um, for financial. We call it durable power of attorney or different ways, but it's a power of attorney so that if you were ever incapacitated, that there are people that you have chosen now, right? People you trust that would step in and be able to act as you they call it, we call it attorney, in fact, to handle like financial things. This is like going to the bank, using your credit card, calling the mortgage company, calling a cell phone company, things that you think are easy to do, but you cannot really do them if you don't have the legal authority. So one is a power of attorney and we make it durable, which means that it works when you're incapacitated. Second uh, part of this uh, planning for incapacity is an advanced healthcare directive. Some other states call them living wills, but essentially they're healthcare directives. These are powers of attorney for health decisions. So these are the people, again, that you choose today while you are healthy to step in and be able to make decisions for you if you are ever in a coma or something like that where you can't do it for yourself. Those two documents are the ones that if you don't have them in place and people don't realize this, a court will have to authorize someone to do it. And so it's not as easy as, well, I'm her sister or I'm her brother or I'm her husband even, right? There was a famous case not that long ago where some a woman, there was no healthcare directive, I believe, and the mother of that woman that was in a coma and the husband were battling it out in court, right? Because she did not leave clear instructions on who she wanted to make this decision. So not having them is a real problem because it really halts the process of doing things while you are 
unable to help. So those two documents, ultra important. So that's the incapacity planning. The other document and documents that are usually part or should be part of your estate plan is a will. Absolutely a will. A will is sort of where you decide, you know, who's going to get what, right? So this is in this is for everybody. A will can be very detailed. It can go into a lot of instructions on what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. A will can create uh, a trust when you die. You know, they're complex documents and very powerful. One of the downsides to a will, and I'll get into why we use trust, is a will doesn't do anything, absolutely nothing. It's like a dead document, no pun intended, until you die, right? So it's just this document that are waiting to be activated when you die. So a lot of times, especially in California, and it depends on your state. So when you talk to a lawyer in your state, you have to, you know, they'll advise you of this. We do a living trust. It's called a revocable living trust. It's the standard sort of gold standard here in California. It is a type of trust that, first of all, when you sign it and create it, it gets activated. It actually starts working now while you are alive to sort of do things and protect things. It also, you know, creates a plan for what's going to happen if you're ever incapacitated, which we talked about a few moments ago, and of course, when you pass away. And just to clarify, when you get a living trust, you also get a will. So the will is sort of mandatory no matter what, okay? And they kind of work together. So to recap, it would be your incapacity documents, which is your financial power of attorney, your medical power of attorney, your will, and maybe even a living trust. Interesting. And so as I'm hearing you really share all this information, and I know we talked about the beginning, how people think estate planning is for people with a lot of money. And so when, as I hear you speak and telling us these things, we, a lot of more people, and I, and I don't know if I'm within our community, I'm seeing and making sure they get a will. Right. And I, yeah. I know you mentioned that obviously that is not enough, but power of attorneys, healthcare power attorneys. So in essence, some people may not know that really they have already done some estate planning because they just think, well, I've got it. That's, That's right. Right. So the yeah. will and these documents make up the estate plan. And then this is what I'm hearing. I just want to make sure I'm correct. That is so great. And, you know, me, because I do this every day, I don't realize that sometimes there is this sort of misconception. They think this is an estate plan is something else, but yeah, it's these, the plan, it's just a plan. And these, all these different documents, whatever they are that works, you know, everybody's got different needs. That is your estate plan. And so, yes, just it's not, yeah, it's not its own thing. It's all of these things make it up to become the estate plan. Perfect. That makes perfect sense <laughs> because I'm <laughs> definitely trying to think like the person listening right now. So you've talked about wills. You also talked a living trust. So a living trust you mentioned is something that becomes alive right now. You don't have to pass away. That's what I hear, heard, correct? Yes, that's correct. It's one of the benefits, yes. One of the benefits. So that's the difference between the will and the trust. The will for it to, for the, your wishes to become active, if you will, mm -hmm. no pun <laughs> intended with that second will. It, but your wishes will not come to fruition until you pass. And with That's the right. living trust, they come to fruition as of right now. 
yeah, there are certain things that already, um, like I said, your living trust can even have instructions for these people that we call our successor trustees to on what to do, what not to do if you're ever incapacitated, right? So you don't have to die for your trust to start giving instructions to certain people in certain situations. But let me, if I may, there's also one other big difference, and I can't say for sure that in all the states this applies, but um, in California, for example, one of the other differences, so you mentioned some people are getting wills, and I'm so happy about that because a will, that's a mandatory, like every, every adult needs one, right? Living trust might have more benefits uh, for a lot of people, but a will is great. However, I do want people to know that at least in California, and I'm sure in other states, a will will have to go through probate. So let, so probate is also a big reason why people do living trust because it, living trust is essentially taking the power, we call it like jurisdiction, away from the court saying, I, while I'm alive and healthy, am creating this legal document, all right? And choosing these people and leaving my instructions for these people in a legal way, right? So that you court, do not have to be involved with administrating any administration of my estate when I either pass away or if I'm incapacitated. A will does not do that. So when you do a will, you could still accomplish the death stuff that I talked about, but a court has to validate it, has to monitor it, has to approve it. So I, a lot of people don't know that. I said, yeah, that's great, but you will still have to go through probate with a will. And they go, what? I said, oh yeah, when someone dies with Ready to transform your financial life with ease and confidence? Discover the Her Dinero Matters Money Planner, your ultimate digital tool for simplifying money management with its unique blend of psychological insights and practical budgeting tools. This planner is not just about tracking expenses, but about rewriting your money story. Whether you're aiming for big financial goals or everyday financial wellness, this planner is your personalized guide to simplify your money management and elevate your confidence. Download your copy today by visiting jenhemphill.com forward slash planner for more details and even get a sneak peek inside. Use the code Reina at checkout for 10% off. Only a will. We have to file it with the court, open a probate case. It is, it, it should hopefully, not, if it's not contested, be smooth, but it's still a process that requires time and it requires a big cost. And so, you know, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation on the cost of probate, but California is notorious for being very expensive for probates, but I'm sure we're not the only state. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And so from what I'm hearing and from what you mentioned, and I'm glad you mentioned that, can you just do a living trust and avoid a will? And will you be covered the same? No, you always need a will because the will, think about it as like, your will is your agency, like your, you have to be able in your will to say, so when we have a, a living trust, we have a will that says, I, you know, Genoveva Mesa Talbot in this will say this, this, and that, and I give everything and all my power to my trust. So essentially your will okay. is what's going to say what's going to happen. Your will is a requirement. Like I said, no matter what. Okay. And for those that may be thinking, because I have seen this happen before, uh, for those that may be thinking, well, I'm going to write my wishes. I, I have a document where I wrote my wishes. Is that sufficient enough to be a will? This does depend on the state and the rules, right? So there are ways for people to, when, if somebody does, we call it in California, like a holographic is a technical holographic will, like a handwritten, uh, 
Wills have some very strict requirements. Okay. So one, if you're doing that, just know that you are opening it up for it not being valid, right? If you did not do all the things and write it in a certain way and add certain language and have two witnesses that are neutral, blah, 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 blah. Can you, is it possible to have a will that was, you know, like you see in the movies written on a napkin, right? Is it possible? Yes. Is it just a headache waiting to happen in a legal battle? Probably. So I tell people, why, why do that with something so important? If you know what you want, get it done right. Um, I see a lot of wills that are done, you know, online or people just kind of write them out and they're just a mess legally from a legal perspective, right? And so I always think, oh my goodness, had we not redone this, it just would have been a problem. The answer is yes, but not recommended. <laughs> Gotcha. I just I was curious about that because I know I've, I've seen it done. Now, in our community, we take care of our families. And back to estate planning, how can is can estate planning but written in a way that helps us take care of our parents? Yes, and I actually did. Um, and I'm gonna have to do another video on this because I get that request a lot in our families. Um, in our culture, you know, many times we are, are there's family members that either depend on us, right? Or we are just so grateful to that family member, a lot of times parents, right? So in the estate plans, when that is the situation, I, for example, let me give you an example. You know, it's a husband and wife come to me. The wife's mom has lived with them for years. You know, they adore her. She takes care of the kids. She also has no income, right? And she's a widow, et cetera. So a couple like that would come to me and say, hi, okay. So when wife passes away or when both pass away, these are little choices you can make. We want, you know, a hundred grand to go to the mother-in-law. And so it essentially, or sometimes they'll say, or oh, I want the right for the person to live in the home rent-free or whatever the situation we can come up with a plan, but absolutely in my, in my experience, a lot of the culture kind of opens itself up for these discussions. And there are definitely ways that we can take care of, leave gifts and overall just, you know, think about our family members outside of, you know, our spouse and our children, which is what most people think of. Right. Okay. Great to know. And the other last question that I wanted to ask you is something that has been such a big topic uh, it, that I have seen or more conversation around this in our community. And that is prenups and postnups. If you, yeah. <laughs> if you could just briefly share with us why why should we consider creating one a prenup or if we've been you know married uh, maybe we should consider so tell us why why should we consider it? Okay, great, great, great. I am a big advocate because I'll tell you because I did divorces for so long and when I did divorces I also had sort of the rare opportunity because I worked on cases that were really high-end, high net worth, celebrity and entertainer. So I, that's where I, I got a lot of my experience um, just in divorce generally, but also with the use of prenups. And, and you know, every state calls it different things. It's either prenuptial, premarital, and then postnups or marital agreements, right? But essentially, the reason I'm such a big advocate is because one, we really need to move away from these documents being looked at as negative, right? Because I feel like that is prevented a lot of people from utilizing this tool to, as I say, design their marriage. And so the first thing I always say is a, a prenup is 
for both people. It is not her prenup, not his prenup. You know, it's not one uh, fiance's. It is their document. It is a shared agreement, a shared negotiation. It is mutually beneficial, or at least it should be. And the reason, if you think of it logically, once we get rid of that negative stigma is that you ideally, when you are about to get married, you are in the best mindset with your uh, future spouse, right? You're in your best, you're in love, you're ready to start this life. So what better time to negotiate certain things about your marriage, right? To discuss and negotiate and also to sort of pre-negotiate a divorce, not that you want it, but if that were to happen, I think that, you know, we get the best outcomes when you negotiate now, when this is not something you want, then when you are, you know, unfortunately in that situation. So the benefits are huge. I think that the 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 way that people are talking about it, I'm so happy trying to change the narrative around them is really making people realize the benefits, um, so many benefits. And we can talk about that if you want a couple of the different things, but Overall, just logically, if to negotiate your marital sort of arrangements for assets and debts now when you are, you know, in the best place possible with your partner and future spouse is way better than in the future when maybe things are not going as smoothly or aren't as positive. And to follow up with that, because when you first get married and you th probably are thinking, well, why have one if we especially if you're coming into a marriage and you're just starting off. Like we only had like literally three forks. We had other stuff, but we didn't have a full set of forks. <laughs> so if you're thinking, well, what, why are we even going to get a prenup if we neither of us have much? Like, is that like, tell us, like if someone's yeah. thinking that way, because I love how you mentioned we are in the best mindset and I yeah. would love, love that. But if you're like, we don't have both of, neither of us have much. So, so why should we get one? Yeah. So it, it, and to be fair, prenups are not for everyone, are not necessary for everyone. And certainly they are not, you know, without, you know, it's not like they're, uh, what do you call it? They can't be challenged or anything. So I'm not trying to say it's like this perfect thing, but I'll tell you, why would you, uh, you as a couple that feel, I think that's probably the number one reason why people uh, would say, I don't really have any interest in learning about them, doing that, et cetera, is we don't have anything, right? And that's very common. But here is, let me give you some examples. People can get a prenup anticipating perhaps a future arrangement with respect to debt. So a lot of people think of assets for prenups and they don't think about debt. A prenup will also, so if one of you is either has a lot of debt or because of their career or profession or business, right? There is this big risk or liability that is going to be ongoing. That is one way for that person to protect you from it. So it's not just about who gets what and spousal support or alimony. It can also be because, and I have this happen where, you know, somebody says the type of business that I'm doing this and that I have a lot of risk and liability. I don't want my, my, my future spouse to be affected by that. And I want to insulate them from that. And that's a reason we use a prenup. Um, it's also just forward planning and just, yeah, you might not have anything now, but let's talk. So one of the biggest values in prenup discussion and education is that it it makes people, like I said, well, and they're, they're in a great mindset, discuss important things, right? If it should be mandatory. I always say it is way too easy to marry someone. And, you know, you literally can get married without doing much talking about much of anything. And so what a prenup discussion, even if it's just contemplating it or educating, 
forces couples to have important conversations about debt, about, you know, money and, you know, money is loaded. And I, I know couples that I've divorced that they never talked about. They did not want to talk about it. Money was just not. And guess what? right? That didn't work out too well. So I think overall, it's healthy uh, to have these discussions, but people don't normally, regardless of whether after these discussions and after you're educated, you realize, you know what? No, we know now what a prenup will do or won't do. And we realize that that's fine. And I say, great, at least you're educated now. And maybe in the future, and we can get into postnups, Maybe things change, but now you're moving forward intentionally designing your marriage, financial or otherwise, and these are just tools for you to know, both of you, that are there to be used if you ever need it or want them. Yes, and also with uh, prenups, having that conversation prior, you, all, you already mentioned you're in that mindset, and you also gets you, to, obviously, to discuss money, whether assets, whether debt, which I love that you mentioned, that you can have that conversation and make sure that if you're your partner or you are bringing a lot of debt in and that's something you aren't comfortable with that can be discussed but it also allows you to have clarity as to because you're basically planning for a potential you know if worse things if things go sideways it helps to plan a more potentially amicable divorce if that were to happen but it also allows you to understand your partner more and how they're thinking if this were to happen they might say i want to keep everything and you're that would be a red flag that's <laughs> right? right but so it allows <laughs> you to know and not have like well if you know let's say later on in the relationship you're thinking oh my gosh this is not going well I'm not sure what my partner is going to do or what he or she are thinking right it, you already know from ahead of time so I think that's definitely a huge advantage because you've had the conversation already yes 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 so yes red flags come out with prenup talk let me tell you but the other thing that I'll say is that prenups at least in California, I can't speak for, you know, the other, one of the requirements is financial disclosures. Whoa. So um, I think very few people go through this sort of exercise before marriage to sort of disclose their assets, their debts, and sort of have these financial conversations. But guess what? For a prenup, it's mandatory. So Talk about, you know, really crossing that line to transparency and talking. Hugely beneficial for any couple. And yes, red flags will come out. But I want to also just to, you touched on something that I want to mention. So yes, a prenup, I, you know, most people think of it as a document that's there in case you're ever divorced. But it isn't just that. When I talk about it, it's, it's a marital design document because, for example, you can have, and it's very standard to have clauses in the prenup that talk about how you will manage your finances while you're married. So that's sort of separate and apart uh, from a divorce. You might never get divorced, but your prenup still gave you guidelines and ch you chose different ways to manage. For example, if couples want to contribute equally toward the household or not equally, a lot of people want equal and we have ways to write it so that during their marriage, they both know the contributions or requirements and how that's going to play out. I also have times where when there's a big discrepancy in the income that we put in there that the all the living expenses and household expenses are only paid by the higher earner during their marriage, right? So it isn't just a divorce activation, like I say, it actually works during your marriage. So there's a lot to obviously we could have a whole conversation about prenups, but I just wanted to touch on that. It is not just a in case we get divorced. Yeah, we talk about that. There's also death stuff in there too, but it's also 
how are we going to do our finances while we're married? So huge, huge conversation. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is absolutely beautiful and music to my ears because that <laughs> kind of lays down the foundation. This is how we're going to do things. And you've got it in paper. <laughs> Yep, yep. Love yep. it. Love <laughs> it. And now if you could just speak briefly on postnups. Yeah. So because so, that would be once you're married. Talk to us. Yeah. About that. So sometimes it happens where people really wanted to do it before their marriage, but life happens, this, this and that. Oh, well, se casaron. They didn't do it. Ah, but they wanted to for whatever the reason. So then that's when we get into marital agreements and postnups are marital agreements. And you are able as a married couple to make these types of agreements. Some postnups are almost identical to a prenup. Are there differences? Yes, because now you're married. So um, we still do disclosures, for example, but really, I mean, you really should already know, right? You're a married couple. You already have fiduciary sort of responsibilities to each other. But sometimes we also do them because one spouse during the marriage now say they build a business, right? Or they blow up on Instagram or they're influencers. Nowadays, this is happening more. And then, you know, they talk with their spouse and their spouse feels like, you know, it's fit. Let's do a post-up. And so all this stuff is yours. Like they, they're okay with that. The challenging part is that once you're married, <laughs> You know, it's sort of much more voluntary. And that's just the, you know, human nature thing. I tell people, yeah, postnups, I do them all the time. People, it's, you know, but just know that if they're, they were kind of resistant before the wedding, you really can't make them do it after. So just, that's the only risk that once you're married, you know, the person really has to be in agreement versus, I know this is, you know, this is not how it should be, but a lot of times there is one person a little more motivated to do a prenup and that the fact that there's a wedding looming kind of forces people to act and make decisions versus once you're married, that's it. Like they don't really, they could be like, yeah, no, I, I don't think I want to do it. And that's it. You're done. <laughs> so <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and side note, this is probably a no. I probably know the answer, but with this planning, because it's, you set, it's basically a plan with prenups and then postnups and setting a plan of how you're going to manage your, your, the money. Can you insert like the roles, like, you know, who should do what, like the, <laughs> the tasks or the household tasks and, and cooking and cleaning and all that? Probably not. Right. Is that wishful thinking? You know, um, I, I don't know if that I'm would kidding. be enforceable. <laughs> um, I don't do them, but gosh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be against some sort of something in writing. I'm all about those quote contracts, right? <laughs> right. No, I just asked because statistically in, in partnerships is usually, you know, the female ends up doing, we, we multitask so much, right? So in general, not in all cases, uh, it's, it's like a, it's more heavy on one side than the other partner in terms of the roles, right? So just thought I ask wishful thinking. So, <laughs> but you know what? I think that, and I said this earlier is it is way too easy to get married without having important conversations financial life planning child rearing all of the things so i'm i don't know if i had a, a way to and i know this is so controversial and i say that because no we should have the freedom to do whatever we want i get that but as a divorce former sort of litigator divorce litigator let me tell you if you knew that you were going to get a divorce which most people don't you would wish that you would have done a lot more research and talking before you got married. And unfortunately, it doesn't happen. And I wish that it did because when the divorce comes, whoo, 
you know, all the things come up to the surface. And that's just from my experience, you know, <laughs> but I wish, I wish that there was a little bit more thoughtfulness in some of these divorce uh, marriages. <laughs> Makes sense. Thank you so much. I have learned so much. And uh, some of the things that I knew, I'm like, wait, well, I didn't fully understand this. So this has been fantastic. Kenobium. I really appreciate uh, you being here and sharing all this knowledge with us. Absolutely. And like I said, just to reiterate, I am only licensed in California. So what I say really applies uh, specifically to California, although there's some similarities in other states. Talk to a lawyer in your state to get specific information and advice. And of course, the thing I said today is legal advice, right? This is just general education. Absolutely. That definitely sounds like a lawyer thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And Obama, thank you so much again for being with us. I appreciate you. This was great. Thanks a lot. What did you think? Estate planning and prenuptial agreements are definitely crucial for ensuring financial stability and asset protection. Estate planning allows us to outline our financial wishes and effectively distribute our assets upon our passing, while prenuptial agreements establish an understanding between our partners and us regarding the division of assets of a divorce or separation. Both things aim to reduce potential disputes and legal complications by clear delineating assets and responsibilities. By proactively addressing these matters, couples can foster open communication, promote trust, and establish a solid foundation for their relationship. When you do estate planning, prenuptial agreements, all of that, it helps safeguard one's assets and ensure a fair and equitable distribution reflecting both parties' intentions and desires. Also, having a will can prevent confusion among family members. It's essential to be proactive in managing your financial knowledge since the significance of matter like wills is often overlooked. At this point, it becomes your duty to acquire knowledge and ensure every aspect of your finances remains current. You can connect with our guest over on her Instagram channel, which I will definitely link up, link up in today's show notes, but is basically attorney underscore Mesa underscore Talbot. So of course you will have that in the show notes as well. After listening to this episode, you are probably excited about estate planning because you finally see that it is for you, that it is doable, but you probably have more questions. Even though I am not the appropriate person to answer your questions specific to estate planning like Genoveva is, of course we can create a discussion and have these questions in our community and I can definitely get those answers answers for you. To join our community, you can do so at jenhemphill.com forward slash community. There, I also share additional resources beyond the podcast. You can find the link to join in today's show notes. Coming up next week, if you are tired of managing finances on your own, there is no need for that anymore when you understand all there is to know about financial roles. I will dive deep into that topic and how financial financial roles can make managing your household finances so much simpler. Bueno pues, that is everything. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to tune into today's show. You can check out the show notes over at jenhemphill.com forward slash 350. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash 350. Remember that being the reign of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.